series, Days of Noah, comes off of something that happened last year that triggered something in me to think differently. Uh, for those of you that do not know, I grew up in a denomination where Jesus was coming any minute. He would come tomorrow. He would come today. You better not be kissing your girlfriend in the back seat of the car. He's going to show up. You'll miss it. I mean, he was coming. But I'm 58 today, and it's been a long time, and you start thinking, well, is he really going to come? Everybody tells me he's coming, but nothing's any different. Uh, you kind of get lazy. You sort of just forget anything about that the whole reason we're here and trying to share our faith is we believe that Jesus in the strangest of ways will come back, which is strange because the way Christians believe it, he comes back on a flying horse, which sounds like we're all smoking weed, a flying horse and comes back and hoorah, takes the world over and we live happily ever after it. If not careful, it sounds like a fairy tale, and I understand that. I understand that Christianity can sound like a fairy tale. Floating cities of gold, flying horses, angels with wings. Uh, it's easier to believe in Batman. But the reality of that is I've spent my life trying to study it. And understand it because there's a lot about the Bible when I started I did I couldn't figure out all these stories they did not make sense uh, lions and giants with rocks in their head and uh, floods that killed the whole world it just it doesn't make sense and but I, I, I caused my life to dig it out I like to explain things I like to know the why behind things why do they work so because I started this journey Preaching the Bible, I would have never picked it. This isn't something that was in my bucket list. Like, I want to be a preacher. It's something that I kind of fell into and felt I love it and I love doing it. So I tackled this subject. I've never taught it before. You're getting it fresh off the grill. But again, something happened last year that, that intrigued me. And it made me stop and go, wait, I've been doing this a long time. I've never seen this before. And so I've been trying to piecemeal religion and Jesus with the world I live in and try to make sense out of it and hence the days of Noah. Now this has been our text. It comes from the book of Matthew. Jesus is talking and Jesus says, when the son of man returns, that's himself. He says, when I come back, it's going to be like it was in the days of Noah. So what I've done over the first four weeks is I've tried to uh, kind of lay out this whole path of what's going on so that we could all have a understanding of my brain and what's happening in the Bible from Adam all the way down to Noah. And then over here is the flood, this story that we talk about where God kills everybody. And what I've tried to do is get you to come around the back door because most time, if, if you're a Christian, you, you try to connect the evil up, like what's going on in Noah's day so evil that God would kill everybody. And Jesus says, when I come back, it's going to be like this. So you start thinking, well, well is he going to come back and kill everybody? Like, is, is, that, is that what's going on? So I wanted to take it from a different thought. And what I wanted to talk, rather than talking about all the evil, I wanted to talk about what's going on with righteous people. Like, where did they all go? Why by the time when I get to Noah, is there only eight people that God would consider righteous enough to get on this boat? What about all the other millions that he just wipes off planet Earth? And that always intrigued me. Why only these eight? I'll talk about that next week, but not this week. So... I've, I've spent four weeks talking about righteous things, 
What's going on with us as Christians? Those of us who say we love Jesus, those of us who claim Christianity, again, it's a strange religion at best, but those that believe it, believe it. This man named Jesus, this thing we call church and religion and all of the little icons and symbols and denominations that make your head hurt. There's so many of them. We, you, you know, it just makes you think, what are we doing when there's this every little denomination from Methodist, Baptist, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, Church of God in Christ, First Church of God in Christ, Third Church of God in Christ, the Church of God in Christ got mad at that Church of God and started theirs. I mean, it's just, it blows your mind. But what I want to do this week and next week is I want to talk about evil. And I want to try to do it in a way that will open your mind to what's going on because there's always been evil. There's never been a time except right at the creation of Adam and Eve, Christians believe, that there was never a time there hasn't been evil. And so the, the challenge becomes when we talk about Jesus' return and we connect it to evil. The challenge becomes is, well, how do we define evil? Because what's evil to a Levinson may not be evil to me and vice versa. What David may think is evil, I may not think is evil. We would hope we could all agree on it, but we live in a generation where we can't even agree on it. There's groups of people that think Antifa is a great thing, and, and I think no. There's people that think fascism is, is on the rise. Get rid of, smash it, smash it. And there's other people like, God, my God, capitalism is the greatest thing we got going. No, it's fascism. And then you got people who are burning down the streets of America thinking we're doing a great thing while you've got business owners losing their lifelong businesses going, this is the most evil thing in the world. While other people are saying it's a peaceful protest. And then you've got pedophilia and sex trafficking and all the things going on today that we look at this and go, well, surely it would be the days of Noah. But if I go back to the days of Noah, they didn't have Antifa and sex trafficking, maybe. And there definitely was no America, no capitalism back then. So if we talk evil, then, then what would the correlation be of some dude named Noah's evil and then the evil of 2023? Because we can't even define what evil is. In the church, let's not talk about worldly people, let's talk about Christians. There's groups of Christians that believe that abortion is evil. And there's other groups of Christians that think, no, it's a, it's a woman's choice, it's health care. Like we can't even agree killing babies is evil. So how do we define evil today? So I, I, I would say, you know, some people say, no, racists can intermarry each other. Blacks can marry white. This is South. That's why I picked that. And there's other Christians that go, no, that's evil. Like we can't even agree on what evil is today. If, if I go way back to the 1960s, you, you, you got to be old. So Miss Ann, she'll know this. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble. I love you, Miss Ann. <laughs> Anybody, now my watch real close. Anybody remember this from the 1960s? <laughs> well, it's one for the money, a two for the show, a three to get ready now, go and go right on you. And all the, girl, all the girls are like, ah! But they couldn't show that on TV. Listen to her. That's right. <laughs> You have to be 80 to go, that's right. That was, that was too evil. 
a white guy, Elvis, that sounds like a black guy that throws his hip. Oh, that's not on TV. So on the, I think it was an Ed Sullivan show, they only could show him from the chest up. Oh my God, go hang out with some of the kids and go to their concerts today. Their hoo-hahs are hanging out. And we're all like, yay! But 60 years ago, you couldn't do that. It was evil. So let's don't pretend that, that we can let culture define evil. So if I want to determine how evil evil is, I have to remove humans from the equation of defining evil because we will always cherry pick what's evil to us. So Jesus, however, does pick that up. So I want to go back before Noah and I want to pick up a story that if you're a Christian, you know it. It's Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve bite a piece of fruit. God's really upset. They've screwed the entire human race up off a piece of fruit. God shows up and has a conversation. This is his conversation. Verse 14 of Genesis 3. So the Lord God said to the serpent. That was, quote, the little snake in the tree Eve's talking to. If it was a snake. I don't think it was, but that's not for the day. Because you have done this, talking to the serpent, you're cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field and on your belly shall you go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Which is interesting, we even say at funerals, dust you are to dust you return. And God said that the serpent will spend his life eating dust. So God from the very beginning of time said that Satan will always be out to eat off of you. He will use your life as his food. It will be the thing that will motivate him, will be your flesh. He will gnaw at your flesh to get you bitter and irritated. But goes on. It's not my message, but that felt good. Verse 15. And I, this is God again talking to the serpent. I will put enmity. The word enmity means war, hostility. There will be a bitter war between you, that's the serpent, and the woman, that's Eve, and between your seed, that's the serpent, and her seed, that's Eve. Now, this is the interesting thing, is that for the first time in the Bible, God predicts the future. Because, because he's creator, he has the ability, and he's eternal, he can see the future as equally as well as the past, because he's eternal over it all. Here would be the past, there would be the future, but because I'm eternal, I see both at the same time. So God, here at this sinful moment of the serpent and the the fruit in Adam and Eve, projects the creator to here at this other future moment and said there is a future where the two seeds are going to be warring with each other. And it's going to be a bitter war. It's going to be the war of a womb of a woman that will carry forth the Christ and the Christ will defeat the enemy. Now, this is what I'm going to pick up is I've been talking about the righteous seed and what's going on with all these righteous people that we end up with having to have a flood. But I want to challenge you to think this way, that at the same moment that there's good happening, there is a war of evil at the same time. 
It's always been in existence. If you study religions, it's in the Chinese philosophy of yin and the yang. The, the yin and the yang, the yin, evil has good and the good has evil. It's that little circle with black and a dot and a white and a dot. This evil seed is not some Chinese philosophy. It's not some Christian thing. It is a prophetic mind of God to say that the two worlds will always be at war with each other. Always. An evil seed and a righteous seed to do something. Now Jesus picks up here in his little 33 year span of life here, this blue line. It's some 4,000 years from Adam, Jesus shows up. He lives 33 years. But in that little 33 year, there was a three-year stint that he did all of his stuff. So when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's three years of Jesus' life written down. In those stories, he connects us to here and says, this is what he says. This right here will look identical to this here when I return. As it was in the days of Noah, past, so shall it be when I return, future. So there's no reason any of us in this room who would want to know could, should be caught by surprise. He literally told you the answer to the quiz. What will it look like before you come back? Oh, I'll tell you, it'll look like something 4,000 years in our past. Now that makes me scratch my head because how could anything back here in the past evil look anything like the evil here? Was there a girl back here singing, I took a Louisville song and a both headlights. Was there pedophilia back here? Was there drunken behavior? What was, was there LGBTQ? Like if I, what in God's name could I go back 6,000 years from me and find any correlation to anything like me? I can go back to Elvis and it's different. Yeah, yeah. Much less come all the way back to Noah and go, what kind of commonality is there? Now watch, that is so common here that Jesus could say this blue line here of Noah will, will transplant itself over here and when I get ready to return it'll look just like that. Yeah. Well that intrigues me. It, it intrigued me before because I've thought about it a lot. But something happened last year that made me pause and have that OMG moment of I need to rethink this. I, I need to get my mind on it. And that's what I'm trying to talk to you about. So here's what we do know. We'll pick this up next week. This is just a precursor. What we do know from back there and here is there's a spirit world. If you're a conspiracy theorist, everybody in Hollywood signs a pact with the devil, bleeds their blood, and drinks the children of babies so they can have a dream of chrome and live forever, right? So no matter what we know, at least Hollywood is aware enough that they create all these horror movies for you about demons and spirit worlds and warlocks and other dimensions and other... Like Hollywood believes it more than Christians. 
You know, they, they're, they're throwing it out there like, like they've got bug wings on their back. But they're all good about it. But then we're like, yeah, I don't know if I believe that. Yes, you do. You eat buttered popcorn and watch it all the time. <laughs> and just so you know, if you don't, I'm going to aware you. They're literally chit-chatting in the Congress of the United States about aliens. So something's brewing. I know in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, I've been a conspiracy theory when I was in my mother's belly. I was born going, somebody killed JFK. <laughs> it was the government. And everybody's like, no, no, the government didn't know it, but it was Oswald. No, it's the government. I just feel it. I was three. But... I, I have said, I bet there's aliens out there. And then demons are aliens. It doesn't matter. They both have a big, ugly head. I don't know. Call them whatever you want. But I think there's something else out there real spooky. Like all about Area 51 and what could be out there. There's aliens. I know it. I feel it. And some person in Arkansas, they come down and took my wife up. My saw She's gone. We were chit-chatting up there with them aliens. Like, you're like, oh, there's no aliens. That's just some redneck in Arkansas. Not anymore. Throwing that to you. They're conversating over this in the United States Senate committees about other beings that are just popping up around the world. So here's what I would like to say. I do believe that from Noah to present day, there was a lot of activity in the spirit world. Whether you call them gods, angels, demons... There's another world out there that works. You don't even have to be a Christian to have some awareness that there is another world out there. I just went to go see a movie, Oppenheimer, and the five preludes to Oppenheimer, that's where they tell you the movie starts at three, they mean 410, because you watch 90 other movies that they show. And almost every one of those, it was about demons and horror and spirits, and it's the new Exorcist movie with a girl going, and I'm going, I, I, I was raised so Pentecostal, I'm 58. When she came on that thing, I was like, oh God, no, God. Jesus, Lord, forgive me. Jesus, what did I, and I could hear my mother, you're going to get a demon. And I'm like, I don't want a demon. I don't want a demon to get in me. No. And then I do this and she's still on the screen and I'm like, no. <laughs> so I don't know if you get a demon watching it, but I know there's enough awareness that Hollywood's chunking it to us pretty good. But you talk about Christians, it's like, well, I don't know. But I will say, I think there's a heightened activity of supernatural things happening around us. Just go look at the news. They're showing pictures of UFOs and we're doing all kind of stuff. So I will say that there was supernatural awareness here. We'll talk about it next week. And, and it's happening here right now. There's a lot of weird supernatural things that are ticking off in our culture. Way beyond Bigfoot. He was just the beginning. Like things are out there. All right. So let's pick up the story. I'll do the best I can to try to define evil for you. And where I want to take you is, can we define evil? And if we do, could we know how close we are to his return? So that's in the next few minutes what I'd like to try to do. Genesis 6, this is the story of Noah. I'm going to read six verses. I'll comment very little so I can get to what we need. Here we go. Verse 1. 
When man began to multiply on the face of the earth, of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw the daughters of men were attractive. And they took as their wives, wives any they chose. And then the Lord said, my spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time. They're only mortal flesh. In the future, their normal lifespan will be a hundred, no more than 120 years. Just a thought for you. When, when they listened to God, they had eternal life. When they disobeyed God, from the moment they disobeyed him until this point, their lifespans get shorter and shorter and shorter. Just my thought to that is it never pays to serve evil. It'll always rob you. It'll, it'll ruin you. It will eat you. It will, it, I know it feels good. I know the affair feels good in the moment. I know the, 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 the addiction feels good in the moment. I know that. I, the lust feels good in the moment. But when it's done with you, you'll come to a piece of bread. It's how it works, all right? It goes on. I said I wouldn't comment, so let me try not to. In those days and for some time after, giant Nephilim lived on the earth. For when the sons of God, this is our lesson next week, the sons of God had intercourse with women. Go figure that out. Spirit beings are having sex with women. That's an interesting thought. We'll talk about that next week. They gave birth to children. Those of you that are English majors, this is where we Christians, at least me, say that all the Greek mythology, they, the sons of God slept with women, birthed out children who were heroes and warriors of old. That's Neptune, Zeus, Poseidon, all these big, you know, Hercules, these people we read about in Greek mythology. My belief, it wasn't mythology, it was real, but I'll talk about that next week. Sorry for that. The Lord observed, here's where it gets interesting, the extent of human wickedness. And he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Now the thing it begins to teach me is, I said, how do we define evil? I don't know how we do it, but this verse 5 says that God is observing it and God considers it totally evil. So whatever's going on, God's defined this total evil. So now I got to dig deeper and go, well, then what is it? Here's what he says in verse six. So the Lord was sorry. In other words, it has to be pretty doggone evil when God is sorry that he ever made you. Come on. For God, the creator to go, dude, I wish I'd have never made these peeps. It's got to be a pretty low moment in human history. And then it goes to say, he was sorry that he ever made them and he's sorry he put them on the earth. It broke his heart. Now this righteous seed that we talked about for four weeks, we're going to pick up this question. What in God's name happened that God himself said everything is totally and consistently evil? What does he see? Because the Bible doesn't tell us. The Bible doesn't say, well, they were sleeping with their cousin. They were having sex with animals. They were using children as sacrifices. They were drinking each other's blood. Like it really doesn't tell us in the Bible what God was looking at when he looked down and said, they're consistently and totally evil. So evil, I wish I would have never made them. So evil, I'm going to nuke them all. So evil. Like the creator defines it for us. And now this makes me pause and go, then what does God see? 
And what am I missing? Because I know how I define evil. If it hurts somebody else, it's evil. Bottom line. Like I can define evil. But I think I've presented the case that every culture has levels of evil that change. What was evil in the 90s is not evil now. What's evil now won't be evil later. Example, pedophilia. We're like, pedophilia, God is so evil. Give it about 10 years and pedophilia will be minor child attractiveness and it'll be acceptable. It just takes a while to work it out to where we all accept it. It starts out like, oh, that's so evil. But just give it time to brew, and then the next generation, what's evil for this generation as we exist as humans will not be evil for the next. It'll be what we would call normal. So what happened from Adam to Noah that would make God go, "Uh, it's just consistently evil? I would like to dig that out for you and try to explain it. Now, last week... I left you at this thinking. Can I find a consistency between Noah and Mark in 2023? Can I find a consistency of evil? If I look at what Davis does to somebody back in Noah's day, can I bring it and go, well, Davis would do the same here? That's going to be hard to to do. So there has to be something that could translate from this world into this future and go spot on. That's what's going on. I'd like to try to do that for you. In this, I will start here. We will be amiss if we define evil from what we think. For those of you that would be listening on a podcast, I put the divine eye of God. The only way we could define evil is from God's perspective. It's the only way we could baseline and go, well, this is evil. Because if me and you judge it, we change every generation. So I want to go back and find out what does God consider evil? Here's the thought from last week. Last week, we left you with a tree, a bunch of them that were made into a boat. And God said to Noah, which is who Jesus is talking to here in this generation. God said, if you'll build this boat 450 by 75 by 45, if you'll build it just like I tell you, it's going to save you. But if you reject my boat, you drown. So the story that Jesus refers to is a boat A bunch of trees that if they're put together the way God told them to put together and you get on it, you live. If you don't, you don't get the ticket, you're gone, you die. That's the story of Noah. Then we come to a thousand couple of years from Noah to a set of other trees we talked about. And it was a tree that wasn't built like a boat, but it's the symbol of Christianity, which would be weird if the symbol of Christianity was a boat and we all had to wear a big ark on our neck. You know, I got me an ark on my arm. So thank God it's a little smaller. It's a nice cross. But God gave us another set of trees to deal with evil. And that set of trees dealt with evil. It was Jesus on a cross. And if you believe that, and you turn to the cross, you could live. But if you reject it, you die. If you believed the boat could save you and God owned you lived, if you didn't believe, you die. Both were the mind of God, not the mind of humans. No human would have thought, let me build a boat. Accordingly, back then, there wasn't a flood of rain, so to build a boat would have been strange. 
Here, to be on a cross was normal in Jesus' time, but to hang on a cross and be cursed for the entire world when you're innocent is very abnormal. Both of them are to the divine mind of God. The boat is the divine mind of God. The cross is the divine mind of God. If you listen to the divine mind of God, you live. If you reject it, you die. If you listen, you live. If you reject it, you die. So to understand evil, because in both categories there was evil. There was evil in Noah's day, the dead people that didn't get on the boat. And there was evil in Jesus' day, every human on planet earth. And that's why he died for them. So how do we figure out what evil is? We're going to pick up another set of trees. And we're going to try to see if we can take all three trees and figure out what God wants to do. So what will be the consistency of evil? Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden east of the place where and he placed the man he had made. And the Lord God, you got to love God. He just loves trees. Come on, somebody. Just loves you. You thought your mansion was some big no. Your mansion's a tree house, right? It'll be a cool tree house. But the Lord God made all sorts of trees to grow up from the ground. Trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit in the middle of the garden. He placed a tree of life. And then this, oh man, this is just payout right in the noggin. He put a tree that would define good and evil. He wanted you to know you humans don't define good and evil. This tree does. Now that's weird. That's my favorite word. God said that this tree would give you a knowledge of what is good and it would give you a knowledge of what was evil. Now that seems cool, like let me eat of that one. That's what Google is. Let me eat of this thing. This was God's Google in the day. Don't touch it. Now watch what God says. I'm going to warn you, verse 16. You can eat of any tree of the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, God never wanted a human to be in charge of defining good and evil. Because if a human defines good and evil, y'all will change the standard every 10 years. And no generation will ever know what's evil because you'll just change it the next generation. That's the way it works for you humans. As soon as you step on the line of evil here, give yourself 10 years, you will move the line because you're always wanting to assume that you're good people. But the only reason you're good people in your own mind is you move the line of evil to fit your own selves. So God started humanity with y'all. That's that's Southern. He's from the South. (laughs) Y'all don't get to define this. Good and evil is in my realm, not your realm. And if you decide you want to eat of good and evil, you will die. Not only will you die, you'll start murdering each other, raping each other, killing each other, abusing each other. Why? Because you will always turn that which is evil into good to fulfill your lustful behavior. So don't eat this tree. Just stay away from it, boys, and eat anything else you want but that one. And they're like, forget it, and gave him the middle finger. We're going to eat this tree. Because I just feel like if I can't define my own evil, what good is it to serve you anyway? And here we sit. 
Anybody want to look at planet earth and think we're doing well? So, the third tree is going to link up the three to tell us what evil should I be looking for here. Because I have to put all three of them together. If I, if I put all three of them together, it's clear. Tree number one, I don't have a lot of people. I don't really have evil. I just have one tree and two naked people. God says, eat it, die. Here, I got a whole bunch of people and I got build it, live. Here, I got a sinful entire world, hang him on it and live. The commonality of all three is not the evil that humans do, but it's the rejection of God's wisdom. Evil is not what I do to you and you do to me. Evil is that I reject his wisdom. And the moment I reject his wisdom, I'm evil. Example, don't eat the fruit. Screw you, I'm going to do it. Evil, because they rejected his wisdom. Build me a boat. A boat, that's stupid. And they died. Believe on the Son of God and you shall have life. <laughs> Son of God, some Jewish dude. That's stupid. They rejected his wisdom. Not to eat the tree, stupid, I'm going to do it and take my chances. Not to get on the boat, stupid, I'm going to take my chances. Not to believe in Jesus, dumb, archaic religion, going to take my chances. With all three of them, it wasn't the evil humans were doing to each other. It was humans giving a middle finger to God to go, screw your wisdom. We are smarter than you give us credit for. I don't know if they did it with that anger, but they obviously did it with such vile that God goes, I wish I would have never made them. They obviously did it with such disgust that God's heart was broken. Dude, all I'm asking is get on the boat. Just get on the boat. Get on the boat. Please get on the boat. I'll give you a hundred years to think about it. How long it's going to build it? Give you a hundred years. And then we're just such snotty nosed. Well, that's just dumb. That stupid boat guy building the boat. They hung him on a cross. He's just a devil. He thinks he's God. So what I can say from every generation, from Adam to Noah to Jesus to me, is that Jesus says, the closer I get to coming, the culture will begin to systematically reject the wisdom of God. Now, at this juncture is where my brain went into right field and thought something happened last year that made me stop and think this out. When Jesus returns, he says, it will be like this here. And I wrote this down. When he returns, it will be to a culture that rejects the totality of God's wisdom and becomes completely and utterly evil. Now, I know all of us in this room will think we'll never get there. We've got governments and we've got, we've got nukes and we've got nuclear wars and we've got WEF, the World Economic Forum, and we've got the United Nations and we've got America's. It's a big brother of everybody that's out there. 
And we've got social justice now. We've got Instagram. We can post stories of bad things. But remember, I'm not asking you to look at evil to what we do at each other, but that evil will be the rejection totality of God's wisdom. And when we do that, we'll think highly of ourselves, but we will be the most evil of people. Not how we treat each other, but how we snub our nose at God. All right, so here's my thinking. How close is he? So I went to, uh, I want to read a verse, a passage of scripture. And then I want to tell you a chart I put together. Here's, here's Paul in the book of Corinthians chapter 1. The message that points to Christ on the cross seems sheer silliness to those hell-bent on destruction. But for those on the way of salvation, it makes perfect sense. Again, two different kinds of wisdom. Sheer silliness, that Jesus, stupid, sheer silliness. Religion, Christianity, stupid. And to others, it's perfect sense. It's like, that's the most natural thing ever. We all need a Savior. This is the way God works, and most powerfully as it turns out. It's written, God will turn conventional wisdom on its head and expose so-called experts as shams. Anybody know that we now live in a world where everybody's an expert? Just making sure you know that. Everybody's an expert. All you need to do is Google how to be one, and you can be one today by four. So where can you, this is God, so where can you find someone truly wise, truly educated, truly intelligent? You would think you could find them in the Senate. You could think you could find them in colleges today. But he says, God exposed it all as as pretentious nonsense. Since the world and all of its fancy wisdom never had a clue when it came to God, God in his wisdom took delight in using what the world considered stupid. The preaching of all things to bring those who trust in him the way of salvation. In other words, God himself enlightens you to know that whatever he does, most humans will think it's stupid because we love our own fancy wisdom. Like it is stupid. I just told you. Floating cities of gold, flying horses, some Jewish dude that died 2,000 years ago and I can eternally be saved if I'll do everything he says and live for him and quit smoking my cigarettes and don't get tattoos and women should wear skirts and not blue jeans and don't go to rated movies and don't listen uh, religion that's what religion does and we just go that's just stupid I don't need that so what I did is you can just all all you got to do is go a yes or no I I wrote at the top of the screen culture 2023 this is what we all live in I'm a big culture dude I'm all about it I'm I'm digging it out every single day I like to connect it to God here's the first one God says, I'm good. We say God is evil. Because we'll say things like, well, if he's such a good God, why'd he let my mother die? If he's such a good God, why'd he give my daddy cancer? If he's such a good God, I asked him to heal me and he didn't heal me. If he's such a good God, why does he let babies get murdered? If he's such a good God, why can't he stop all this pedophilia? If he's such a good God, why does he let tornadoes? Like literally, that's kind of how we do it. Now, God defines his own self as good, but we're like, no, he ain't good. Because if he was good, there wouldn't be all this hell going on. That's a whole other comment in itself. I'll leave it alone. Number two, God says humans are evil. Humans say, well, now some people are, but not all of us. I mean, come on, some of us. I mean, I know Bill Gates trying to give everybody a vaccine evil, but not everybody's evil. I mean, come on, where some of us are good people. Meemaw's a good woman. (laughs) 
But if you're a Christian, you have to baseline, no, you're all evil. You're not evil because you smoke weed and chase it with Jack Daniels. You're evil because you rejected God's wisdom. So, but humans are like, well, I'm not that evil. I'm better than Joe Blow because what do we do? We judge our evil based on other evil. So here's an evil human and I'm kind of right there. And as long as I can stay under him, I always feel better about myself. I mean, I'm addicted to porn, but I ain't never slept with nobody outside my body. I feel better about myself. Right? I mean, I get drunk every Friday, but I ain't never done meth. I mean, that's just what we do. We, we, we like when we use evil, we always never see ourselves as evil as we are. That's why if you want to know how evil you are, take a selfie. Because you rarely like it. You're like, click. Ooh, God, I look fat. Click. Oh, no. Ooh, race, erase. Stop. Dad, don't post that. Filter, 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 filter. Like God's even letting you know you don't even like your own self. <laughs> I'm sorry. Number three, God says it's absolute truth. And this popped up about three years ago, my truth. You live in a generation today that doesn't believe in absolute truth anymore. They believe in my truth. And if you've ever tried to tell somebody about Jesus, absolute truth, who believes in their truth, it's like talking to a brick wall. Who are you to judge my truth? Now, I'm okay with that. I I do believe it's America. You get your truth, love your truth. But we're in a culture that no longer believes in absolute truth. Forty years ago, 90% of the Christians believed that the Bible was the inherent written word of God. Today, many Christians don't even believe the Bible's inspired and you don't even need it. So we, we have at least downgraded a little bit. Number four, God says Jesus is salvation, and we live in a culture that says, well, okay, I'm good with that, but I can save myself. I don't need some Jewish carpenter giving me a bunch of rules to do. I'm just going to save myself. I'm going to live my truth, live my life. I'm going to be a good person on planet Earth. Number five, your, your culture, God says church is family, but your culture says religion is foolish. We call it deconstructing. People are deconstructing. I don't like religion. I don't like church. I understand all that. We, we've kind of blown it, but, but that's the wisdom. Now, here's where it starts getting interesting. And this is where my brain started picking up because all of these have been pretty consistent through the ages. All you can find all of that. But the final two have been in my generation interesting. And especially the one that's final. Number six. Well, let me explain it first. Goodness, time. Let me explain it. I'll I'll get you out of quick. If if there are two seeds fighting each other and the devil hates God and humans are in the middle of God and the devil, they're they're both kind of doing this. God's trying to get his glory known. He made you in his image. The devil's trying to screw that image up. You're kind of humans are stuck in this cosmic war. The question would become if this... Lucifer, Satan, devil desires to be God, which he does. And this is God. And in between as humans, you better believe that Lucifer is going to make his way through humans to get to the final act with God. 
He's got to work his way through humans to get to God because we're in his image. We were made there. So in the 1970s and 80s, things begin to change. And what began to change, we began to have debates about marriage. And, and we would say traditional marriage is sacred. It's a man and a woman. But we began to debate that and marriage went secular. What we would have thought back in the 80s, we, we didn't know anybody same-sex getting married. It was illegal in America. But as I told you, any time a behavior goes against cultural norm, give it time and it will become normal. So here we sit today, there's no, no, no thought of a gay marriage. It's normal, it's everywhere. Most states have legalized it, it's America. But I do want you to say that whether America legalizes gay marriage or not, or whatever states do, and whether you believe it's right or wrong, I have to go back to that God initially said that a husband and a wife, a man and a woman together was sacred. Yeah. It was his wisdom. Yeah. His wisdom says... Man and woman together make marriage, and that is a reflection of Christ's love to the church. And the devil says, screw that. You get your own wisdom. It's nothing more than a contract where you live together, sleep with whoever you want to. It's no big deal. So marriage was touched. Now, when it got touched, most Christians, you got to go back a little while. Most Christians were a little ticked, like, oh, my God, they're coming against marriages. And we need to vote these people out and get these politicians out of there because it's just so terrible. And we marched and we posted things. There really wasn't Facebook back then. So you had to do it all on the telephone. But now most of these young people over here, it's just normal. Gay marriage is just as normal as normal marriage. Our culture has already accepted it as normal. But here's where it gets strange. Last year. Last year we started arguing over male and female. Yeah. Now I would have thought you got to be dumb to do that. But you don't need to be dumb. You just need to be alive. Because God's wisdom was male, female, my image. And our culture says eh, gender fluid. Now when it came out I was like what? Like, they're not smoking marijuana. That's bad marijuana they're smoking. Like, that's not your normal marijuana. That's something potent out of Colorado. I know it. Right? Like, that's how it just messes with your brain. Because who would have ever thought? Now, I'm not talking about people uneducated. I'm talking about in our universities. I'm talking about smart people. They are debating this in the Congress halls of the United States. We just affirmed a, a Supreme Court judge as we talked to her and said, can you define with all of your education and all of your working, just what is a woman? I would have aced it. I mean, oh God, I know what a woman, this is easy. And she sat there and said, uh, I, I can't do it. And I'm literally going, what kind of generation, 2023, have I arrived in? Now, if I could sit here and joke about it, right? Like we could just talk this all day long, but let me just put your nose to the wind to show you where we are in his return. Remember, it's not evil, it's wisdom. Yeah. 
God's wisdom said Jesus is the only way with absolute truth. We're like, yeah. But then his wisdom is marriage, man and woman. We're like, yeah. And then he says, look, baseline, this is, this is how interesting this is. What else could Lucifer fight? This is the final hurrah for him. This isn't about sex. This isn't about marriage. This is about the image of God. Male and female was God's image. And Lucifer has thrown one final blow before this return of Jesus. And my final blow, I'm going to mar and destroy the image of God before I proclaim myself as God. And we're living in a generation today that's all about gender fluid. I just say give it about five years if Jesus doesn't return. Gender fluidity will be so normal. You won't even put it on your birth certificates anymore. Nobody's going to be having gender reveal parties except misogynists and racists that would dare do that to a child. Just give it time. But I wanted to share this with you, not for one through six. I wanted to share it with you for number seven and ask one question. The pinnacle of God's creation in his image was male and female. And the seed that's fighting the war has touched this. What else in God's creation could he touch? Nothing. There's nothing else to touch except a male and a female. And at this point, we put our nose to the wind because there's an all-out war between two wisdoms. It's right in front of your nose. It's playing itself out in front of you. God has given you an object lesson in your culture that there is a war going on to define what a male and a female is. Let me help you just a little. We have been doing this for millennia. It's a boy. Oh, missing something. It's a girl. For millennia. Thousands of years. Nobody's questioned it. Nobody said we got so technologically advanced we didn't have to birth it. We could just put a machine. And all right, move a little. Oh, there it is. What? You want to know? Yes. It's a girl. (gasps) Welcome to the world that now says, how dare you try to determine what the sex of your child is. Your child should determine that on their own. And you've got a bunch of people that are irritated about that. Just give it time. It will be normal. The 10-year-olds of today, by the time they get 20 and have a child, gender fluidity will be so normal. How dare you, grandmother, think that I should say that this is a boy? Right? I'm just giving you a heads up. Well, we're at an all-out war between two wisdoms, and God has put in front of you a tree, a tree, and a tree. And he's put in front of you the wisdom of the one wisdom that is the wisdom of all God's wisdom, male and female, and we're warring over it. I believe we're close. Here's my conclusion. Accept God's wisdom. Jesus is that life. Bow your heads and let me pray for you. I'm going to ask the band to come up and get ready for communion. Listen, I'm not some doomsday dude. 
I'm not trying to scare you out of hell, hang your feet over some fiery pit. I'm simply telling you, I feel like I made a good case in front of you today. That you're living in a generation fighting a war of wisdom. And it's playing itself right in front of your nose. In Noah's day, he was building a boat right under their nose, but they didn't get it. In Jesus' day, there were people hung on the hillside on crosses daily. They hung people in the Roman culture on crosses daily. Right under their nose, they didn't get it. And now in your culture, right under your nose, we're fighting over whether a male can be a male or a female can be a female. And we're literally arguing it. It's right under your nose. Are you going to reject it? Are you going to reject God's wisdom like they did with Noah? It's just a boat, that silly old Noah. It's just a cross, that Jewish dude. Oh, Mark, it's just a sexual revolution. No big deal. It's just our culture. Well, that's what they said in Noah's day. This is just our culture. He's crazy. Nothing like this has ever happened before. There's never been a flood. In Jesus' time, there's been plenty of people that thought they were God. This guy's off his rocker. In our day, there's a lot of people that think Jesus is coming. Big deal, he's not coming. That's just nothing but religion. It's asinine thinking. It's stupidity. Don't ever think. And in every generation, what God was doing was thought to be stupid by the majority of the people. What God was doing with Noah was thought to be stupid by the majority. What God did with Jesus was thought to be stupid by the majority. What God is doing today, I'm getting ready to return and we look at what's going on with male and female and in the middle of it, God's trying to build his house and the enemy's coming against male and female, coming against marriages, coming against families and God's trying to build a house and he's coming against marriages, coming against families, coming against husbands, children and wives and now male and female. Are you just going to sit there with your nose in the wind? Are you just going to sit there and snub your nose one more week, one more day? Oh, it ain't coming. It's not going to happen. I know. I understand that. But I would be amiss not to at least to tell you to think on God's wisdom today. Not to look at your life. Not to look at what's going on around you. Not to look at what we humans have done on planet Earth. Not to at least be aware that every generation changes the measuring stick of evil just so we feel a little better about ourselves. Every generation tries to snub their nose. Please don't snub your nose anymore. I'm just going to give you a shot. Accept Jesus today. A simple prayer. God, I love you. I believe. It's as foolish as it seems. I put my faith in a tree that Jesus hung on. I put my faith in him. And then when he returns, you're found. He measures you. He gives you life. Would you stand with me if you will?